This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Intertrekkies. Hi. Hi, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> I've been playing with the idea of calling you guys the IT crowd. Oh, snap. <laughs> Let me know if you hate it or not. <laughs> I watched like maybe one or two episodes of that, and there was just a fire that they didn't do anything <laughs> about, and I can't deal. Anyway... Let me know what you think. Um, I like how we just started calling everybody intertrekkies with no yeah. with no preamble whatsoever. We love you. Sure. You have a name, a collective name now. Yes. <laughs> You're like the Bayhive. Yes. But for us. Yeah. We're almost as cool as Beyonce. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we watched... Another episode of Picard, mm-hmm. season three. It is Our Picard season, season one, episode three, The End is the Beginning. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so in the third episode, we get both the beginning and the end, I guess. They're in a ship by the end of it. Yeah. Maybe whoever titled this episode was like, what's finally starting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is like a maybe commentary of its own about the storytelling format of starting like with a preamble that lasts Mm. for two episodes yeah whatever i like being in picard's world but i do feel shafted that we only got one episode with the dog yes and now they're just talking about the dog the dog was on the poster captain archer had porthos with him his beagle right yeah. On the Enterprise. Exactly. He was in almost every episode. Mm-hmm. When I was rewatching the um, Star Trek 2009 movie, mm. there's a very brief mention of how Scotty killed Porthos. What? Because he was the test dog with Scotty's new like transporter formula that gets people way farther. And then the dog died. It couldn't have been the same dog. Maybe. <gasps> have they fixed dog death? Okay, well, so they didn't technically call the dog Porthos. They said the dog, and then they mentioned Admiral Archer. But they called it a beagle. So I love that Jonathan Archer exists in the in the prime universe. No, not in the prime universe. In the Kelvin, in the Kelvin universe. universe. Yeah, <laughs> I have faith of the heart. He must. Oh, <laughs> I refuse to sing in this moment. Good. What happens in this episode of Picard that we watched? We start out. Starfleet headquarters 14 years ago. Picard has just concluded a meeting with, like, all of the heads of Starfleet where he had proposed a plan B to still rescue Romulans despite the synth attack. And I think it becomes clear in this scene that what happened was the synths destroyed the armada that was going to do the rescuing. Yes. Yeah, so they're like, okay, well, we can use, like, decommissioned ships, and we can use, like, people who are, I don't know, like, those weekend warriors. Reserve? Yes, the reserves. (laughs) They, so Picard and Rafi are reviewing this plan that they developed together. Like, basically, she was the one who who armed him with all of the, like, counter-arguments to what they were going to tell him was an impossible task. Yeah, um... The plan was not accepted. She learns for the first time that the synths are outlawed now and forever immediately. Mm -hmm. She's like, we can just use synthetics to, like, make up the difference in labor. And he's like, nope. I wonder if they've been, like, literally destroyed or if they're just sitting in some warehouse deactivated. That would be interesting. That is a good question. Um, Are they in a drawer? Yeah. Or maybe they're all kept in that quantum archive. Like, that seems like a good place to keep infinite things. Oh, cool. And then they could break out of the quantum archive. We could just write. fan fiction just writes We could just write the rest of this series. We're going to bring back all of the people who look like F8s. Yes. Which are called, like, 500-something or other or whatever. So... The reason he quit is not because he actually wanted to quit, but he was, like, using it as a gambit. He was like, if you don't do this plan, I will resign. 
and then they accept his resignation. Mm-hmm. And then they fire her, which, I don't know, she gets like an email on her Blackberry or something like, <laughs> out while they're hanging out, which seems totally unfair. Like, did they fire everyone who worked for him? Right? Oh that my seems God. like really rude. And yeah. like, what? How do you, how, why do you just get to fire everybody? That doesn't make, yeah, it made no yeah. sense to me. It seemed really like punitive unnecessarily so uh, but we learned this is like the reason why she's pissed at him and hates him forever mm-hmm. right like he got her fired he also gave up on the plan like mm-hmm. didn't tr- like she's like we'll just find another way to do this and he's like no i'm gonna go retire and hang out in my grape garden <laughs> everybody who owns a vineyard just like felt a little prick in their heart oh my that. god if you own a vineyard and you're listening to my podcast please call me i love wine tastings <laughs> oh i also found out this week that um you can buy chateau picard wine on star trek.com for like 60 dollars. Hmm. there might be an actual chateau picard so i'm trying to find out if you can get that wine, stay tuned. It might be cheap. Yeah, it might be cheaper than the wine that's like the special twenty fourth century label. I mean, it's got to do some time traveling. That that definitely adds transportation costs. We're going to drink this wine before the season's over. So I'm um, totally down. Yes. So one of the things that I thought about this scene was she calls him JL. Oh, a lot. Like a lot. And it drove me nuts. <laughs> she said it a lot, though. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what what kind of relationship did they have? Yeah, it's really unclear, like, what was she doing for him? Mm-hmm. It seems like, it seems to me that she's some sort of espionage expert mm-hmm. or, like, anti-espionage. Like, that's what she was doing because she knows a lot about the tall she are. Yes. She's, like, later in this episode, she's really good at uncovering information and she almost started crying when she reveals that she lost her security clearance yes so access to secret information is really important to her Mm -hmm. she's wearing gold which is traditionally like the gold is ops um i wanted to talk about the uniforms for a second yeah i thought they looked really cool i did too the uniforms are by uh christine clark Mm. and uh Greg Hopwood, he might be the only person. He's one of the people doing um, the costume concept art. Greg also worked on Birds of Prey, which is coming out this week. (gasps) Super cool. And describes himself on Instagram as a big gay nerd. So totally our kind of person. All right. (laughs) Holler to both of those folks. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, I know any of this because, like, Greg added me. (laughs) It was Uh. like... Oh, after we did our Borg Queen episode. What? I don't know if he listens, but he's seen our Instagram page. Super cool. That's so cool. Very cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I really liked those uniforms yes. that were from 14 years ago. I'm into it. And I think it's funny that like the past uniforms are definitely more like complicated from a production standpoint mm. than the ones that are of current day Picard. Um, and I think that they do that. Doing mm. all of that detailing adds a significant amount of time to the yeah. production of each garment. Yeah. yeah. So I like that they're like, okay, we only have to make a couple of these uniforms, so we're going to do them complicated, but the ones that we have to produce a lot of, we're going to make more simple. Yeah. So yeah, so in this scene, they talk about how Starfleet has descended into intolerance and fear. Mm, yeah. And I thought that that was like a clear parallel to Uh what's happening in present day world america especially Mm. um and it reminded me of something that i was reading recently where in order to as a society become historically as a society becomes more tolerant the risk of creeping fascism actually grows because as you become more tolerant you're more likely to tolerate these very intolerant ideas. Ugh. And so in order to protect against fascism in a tolerant society, you have to be intolerant of intolerance, which is like, it feels mm. like a tautology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's, it's like how you prevent against people like, like being really ideological and wanting 
whole other groups of people to die or just disappear, but get dead. This is like all those white supremacists on the internet who get really mad when you try to silence them. And they're like, you're trying to silence us. And there's like nothing you can say to that because you're like, I am trying to silence you. And it's really important to all of our survival. Yeah, exactly. It's like we're trying to silence you because you want a whole lot of other people to die simply because they have a particular identity. Anyway, so let's all be less tolerant of people who are very intolerant and they're terrible ideas. Yeah. Okay. So I had a few, uh, just a few extra thoughts about this scene. Um, oh, he's super arrogant again. Yeah. I mean, he's he has not lost sight of his own importance. Yeah. And he's, uh, yeah, he definitely he couldn't thought have... that his resignation would not be accepted and that they would do his plan. Yeah. Which is, like, I mean... I respect I respect that as a choice, and I think that it was his. It really was his only play. He definitely over. He didn't have another plan, and he couldn't really execute another plan after that one. Yeah. Well, but but yeah, but that's the thing is like, at at a, to a certain extent, Picard is, um, or had been, like a high ranking officer in Starfleet with a lot of power and uh, and the ability to direct missions like this. He's also a single individual. Yeah. And when you're a single individual that disagrees with the rest of your organization or at least the majority of your organization, you can either choose to continue to be a part of that organization while disagreeing with them or you can leave. And yeah. you really don't have another option. Yeah. And it's not just... It's not just Starfleet he was arguing with. It was the Federation. Yes, yes. Right? Mm -hmm. You know? So it would be like going to the UN or like going to Congress as someone from the military branch. Yeah. Like he doesn't mm -hmm. have as much sway as he thinks he has. And I think this is the third reference to his arrogance, at least, that mm. we've seen in the series so far. Um, last episode, like Admiral Kristen cursed at him and called him arrogant. Like, yeah. Like she named it. And then we also had BFF housemate Laris is like, if it's important to Jean-Luc Picard, it's important to everyone. Yeah. I kind of made fun of that last time. I'm like, duh, of course. That's like the whole premise of all of TNG and the show. Yeah. But I think this might be his character arc. Mm. To right. be that something taken is down gonna, a peg? Yeah, no, not to be taken down a peg. Something is going to happen. He's going to have to check his hubris in order to be successful. Mm. That just like assuming yeah. that he's right and like asking the world for what he wants is not going to work anymore. And he has to come up with a better tactic. Yeah, well, it's. I think it's all pointing to he has to engage in like subterfuge because they – he gets called on by Rafi and by Laris, I believe, that, that like going to Admiral Clancy and telling her exactly what he wanted, like was directly resulted in that word spreading to the wrong people. And then he gets attacked in his house by goons. Yeah. And I don't know that anybody like drew that logical conclusion in this episode but that is what happened yeah yeah immediately next scene he's like at rafi's house in the present day and she's got this adorable little trailer with like christmas lights and plants and you can also smoke her plants yeah. and, and she lives like in this historic area in the desert and i think it's really cool but she's kind of upset about it and oh he says to her that he thinks that there is a link between the Romulan spies on Earth and Starfleet. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. she always said that. Right. And he's taking her seriously now. And, like, he needs her brain and her perspective to figure out what's going to happen next. And, like, I was like, how does he know that? Why does he think that? And, like, that scene would have made sense after those people came to attack him at his vineyard. Mm. Yeah. Yeah? I see what you mean. Yes. That's all. But also... I was going on about the set design. Yeah, it looks really good. And she's not happy living there. But clearly, in a sense, she's chosen her isolation. Because, like, she is really angry at Picard 
for mm-hmm. not staying in touch, like not checking on her or anything. And um, she's isolated herself. She's she's feeling like she's been humiliated over and over in the past 14 years. Like any status or um, ability that she had was kind of stripped from her or at mm-hmm. least like that's what that's the story that she's telling herself yeah and um it feels a lot like depression <laughs> yeah where you this where the sense of isolation feeds into your depression symptoms and then your depression makes you like very unlikely to reach out to people it's like you you start distrusting people and so she's angry at him for not reaching out to her but also she didn't reach out to him yeah yeah and he's probably waiting for her to reach out to him because she's the one who's mad at him yeah but i kind of think that they are both depressed yes or or at least have been and it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to distinguish he's I, i would not say he's like at depression level 10 like maybe he's at like level four or mm-hmm. something because um, he's he's living with his friends. He's got this dog. Like he's definitely coping. But at the same time, like if he tries to talk about the things that got him there, he is like triggered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And we already know that he has PTSD. Yeah. So this PTSD may be expressing itself in depression, depressive symptoms. Um or oh, whatever. Oh yeah, and we know we know that he has PTSD from from that episode that you watched recently. Yeah. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that now. Yeah. So the episode that I rewatched is the one where Picard goes back to Chateau Picard while his brother is still alive. I feel like it's season four, episode two. I think the episode is just called Family. Mm. Picard goes home to Chateau Picard in Le Bar, France. Mm-hmm. And he gets like he interacts with his nephew and his brother and his brother's wife, his sister in law. And he's it, he's there because he's like recently been liberated from the Borg. Mm. And he's really struggling with having been instrumental in the Borg's de- decimation at Wolf 359. Yeah. Um, and just, like, really uncertain about what he wants to do in the future. And then immediately gets a job offer. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> he's such, so charmed. He's just, like... So he's given this job offer to, like, be the director of Project Atlantis, where people are going to be exploring the ocean floor. But... <sighs> Yeah, the the thing that keeps coming up for me about this, like just the existence of the chateau and the fact that he immediately got a job offer, just like being home for a couple days, is how privileged he is. Yeah. Like he has, as a character, he has a lot of humility mm. and that's great, but it's also... <laughs> or at least he did. But it's also, like, I think it's built upon having this safety net, having the security and being, like, a member of a family that's owned this parcel of land and produced produced wine for generations. Mm -hmm. He's always got a home to go back to, whether he likes being there or not. It's, like, a safe landing. Yeah. Um, And in contrast, Rafi does not have that. So when yeah. they both get canned, yeah. he has a place to live. He has well, he a resigned. he has like sense well whatever. He just has the safety net that she does not. It's interesting cuz like this episode throws it all into question cuz I'm but I'm pretty sure we're pretty sure from everything that's ever happened before this show that the humans and earth within the federation if not all the fe- not all of the federation but the humans and earth live in some sort of socialist post money mm. post scarcity environment that's like predicated on like replicators and um everybody being able to to work i can cite a bunch of things you know like there's an episode in deep space 9 where jake isn't even allowed to bid on something at an auction because he doesn't have any money of his own and mm. like there's no way for him to get money and he explicitly says like humans don't use money but it seems like a little bit more complicated than that that there are still 
haves and haves not nots to an extent because they've like allowed the inheritance of property to continue. Yeah. So like whatever your family had or didn't have, you know, like no, no chateaus were seized and redistributed. Mm -mm. It's a kind of like a world building issue where you can say on, you can like say, oh, everything's socialist and we don't have money. But then when you get into the like actual function of storytelling, it can be really hard to create within that world when you don't know exactly how like the government functions um, or how any individual is like acquiring their like acquiring things to meet their needs. And so we end up with a world that looks a lot like our current capitalist society uh, that's just called socialist. I mean, it's very convenient when they're all walled off within Starfleet to just sort of gesture at the outside world, but it's a little harder now um, I mean, we've definitely seen that like parts of the universe, parts of the galaxy are still capitalist or semi-capitalist. I mean, presumably he's selling this wine. How do you justify cash crops in a socialist and so- socialist society? Who gets this wine? Like that, it, you're not going out and giving like a shot worth of wine to every single individual. <laughs> what, how, how is this working? Let's write to Michael Chabon. <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> Does not make sense. So basically, she gets drunk and she gets high, and he's like, Come on, girl, help me out. And she's basically like, No. And then she gets more and more drunk and drinks straight out of the bottle. Yeah, she starts out <laughs> drinking from a vase. Yes. After she has first tended to and then plucked a, like, petal off of this flower that she calls snake leaf and put it puts it in this vape that i was like i wonder if they're gonna merchandise that vape (laughs) she also suggests that uh she's been smoking this vape the whole time like like she's like some things never change and i'm like oh man we were talking earlier this year like we should do an episode that focuses on like substance abuse and addiction yeah space drugs space drugs and there weren't a lot to choose from hmm we had a hard time coming up with multiple episodes and partially because like addiction doesn't seem to be something that Star Trek has spent a lot of time exploring. So we might have our first character with the substance abuse problem. Yeah. I think that this is more real to human experience. Yes. That she would um, like maybe she was casual snake leaf user before she got canned from Starfleet. And then like in the 14 years intervening, she's just been growing her own supply in the rocks by herself and like i don't know not it it's she she's so bitter it kind of seems yeah. like she's been doing very little yeah do you want to shout out that book that you read about depression earlier oh I think yeah I'm cite it but um if you guys want to find this book it'll be on our show notes yeah this is a really good book it's called lost connections um by johan hari and I found it very enlightening about my own like struggle with depression. It investigates the causes of depression and anxiety, mm. which are very like linked. Like a lot of people yeah. who have a depression or an anxiety diagnosis have both. And it outlines nine different causes, only one of which is biological. And the thesis over and over in the book is that people need people. Cool. Yeah, no, I just, I recognized earlier when you were talking about Rafi, I was like, I know this is from that book that you read. Yeah. Uh, Check out that book. Um, So basically nothing really comes out of this scene other than she's like, I'm going to hook you up with a, with um, a pilot. (sighs) Right. And he's like, you'll come around and like, maybe she won't. He does apologize to her. It kind of seems like too little too late. Yeah. Um, I think he they hang out by some cactuses. Yeah. Um, then they're at the Borg cube, mm-hmm. and we find Hugh. Oh yeah, we get to see Hugh. He 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 shows up. So he's observing Soji interact with one of the XBs. That's what they're calling the Borgs who are being liberated or like reclaimed. X-Borgs. They use the word reclaim. Yeah, yeah. They used to be Borg, and they're not, and they call them XBs. 
and she like speaks to one of them in their own language and he's very touched by this it's like we're being reminded that she's the one who has empathy and apparently Hugh yeah. does also and so he comes to talk to her and then they have a conversation about this woman Ramda I really liked it from like a jo- like a labor perspective like she's praised for being emotionally intelligent at her job Mm. instead of that being just sort of an add-on he was like good work yeah and i feel like that doesn't always get called out in like this day and age and so i was really into that (laughs) um i also just wanted to point out that uh, jonathan del arco plays hugh Mm. and i think he's doing a great job also uh he's an out gay man which is super cool um, I saw him in a picture with Wilson Cruz and someone on the internet was like, I'm so glad they're together. And I was like, holy shit, are they? They're not, but they are both gay and they were standing next to each other in a photograph. And I might not have figured this out <laughs> without that person's mistake. So thank you, confused person. Nice. <laughs> Any two people who are standing next to each other yeah. in photographs are together. They are both gay. They are in different relationships. They are not together. Nice. Um, yeah. Wait, who is the other person that you talked about? Uh, Wilson Cruz, yeah, who plays, who he plays, uh, Dr. Hugh Colbert. Oh, in Discovery. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. So what we learn is that Hugh's in charge of, yeah. he's the director of whatever she's working on. Reclaiming the reclamation of these drones project, maybe? Yeah. Seems like. And that this woman who she wants to talk to is a Romulan who is also a former Borg who has a secret Romulan file that Soji has somehow accessed by simply asking for it. Right. Which Hugh points out is ridiculous. And she's like, people just give me what I want. And I'm like, is this part of her programming that she's just really, really likable? Or did she get it from Dr. F.B.? Dr. Fuckboy. I don't know, but like, I'm like, one of these two things is going on. Yeah, it is interesting that she does just say, like, I ask for things and I tend to get them. And it's like, that's not everybody's experience of life. Especially not with Romulans, apparently. Right, yeah. But she has a lot of information about this patient and knows that she used to study Romulan mythology. Mm -hmm. And uh, she got permission to go see her. So they're going to go to the... Borg XB Romulan psych ward to interview her. (laughs) Yes. She goes to meet Ramda and she's playing like Tarot Catan. Yes. I was immediately upset by this because Soji starts asking her like, how does the Tarot Catan triangle symbol thing that you're doing work? And I'm just like, I thought that you just spent some time looking up Romulan mythology so you could talk to her about this. Couldn't you ask your Romulan boyfriend, why didn't you look that up? Mm. This just seems like basic shit you should have figured out already. I think she's trying to... high-level criticism on my part. (laughs) She's she's trying to engage her in any kind of conversation. And she's just kind of like throwing questions at her and she's Mm -hmm. not... And Ramda's not responding. And then finally she says... She mentions that she wants to know more about mythology, mm. Romulan mythology. Mm-hmm. And Ramda's like, I don't like that word. Um, and she's like, the word that we use is closer to news. Yes. <laughs> and then Soji's like, oh, yeah, I really like that. We want to, like, Soji says some dumb shit. Do the images have a connection to Romulan mythology? Mythology? I hate that word. In Romulan, we have no such word. What's a better word? The news. I love that. That's perfect. The idea that former Borg might be able to create a mythology. A shared narrative framework for understanding their trauma. Rooted in deep archetypes, but as relevant as the day's news. That's just what I'm hoping to do. It's said in a way that makes her sound really intelligent, but it actually makes no sense yeah but the news but like in in another way the news is all storytelling yes and you rely we rely on what she the word she uses archetypes like we rely on archetypes to enable storytelling so uh, in one way it's really dumb but in another way it's not 
<laughs> I mean, no, I I think that the way that Soji said it, she's like, oh, it's going to be as like, we need a mythology that will help them like recover from their trauma in a way that is as relevant as today's news. And I was like, I don't think that's what she's saying to you. Mm. I think she's saying that their myths are true. Yeah. And I think Soji just missed that. It did. Yeah. I, I, yes. But it's interesting because I was thinking about how, like, the Bajorans are these people who are highly religious and believe all of their myths mm. to be true, mm-hmm. but still treat them as scripture and myth. And what they're saying is, like, the Romulans are doing the same thing, but have this other vision of themselves where they're like, we're not treating our scriptures as truth. We're just treating them as history. Like, they're true. Yeah. Yeah. No, I see that, that like, like, the Bajorans have, at the outset of Deep Space Nine, discovered that their prophets really exist. Yes. And yet they still rely on a scriptural retelling of, like, the wormhole isn't a wormhole. It's the celestial temple. Yes. Um, whereas the, like, I think we can draw a conclusion from this scene from the Romulans, like, they would have always called it a wormhole. Yes. Somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I think their, their language is much more rationalistic. Mm-hmm. They're just looking at something that's so old that it might as well, to an outsider, it might look like mythology. Yeah. And I think this is all getting towards... Something in early Romulan history Mm -hmm. had to do with synthetic beings. Yes. That caused some catastrophe. Yes. Um, Ramda said something really kind of funky. She was like, I met you tomorrow. Uh Uh-huh. Or something that you did tomorrow. And so there's this kind of like notion of being displaced in the time stream um, and that the, the myths that they have around synths are maybe, like, more like predictions. All of this has happened before, and all of this will happen again. Oh, my God. It's so fucking Battlestar. It's Battlestar Galactica. Um, I really like that theory. Hmm. Some people on the internet are like, maybe the Romulans created the first Borg by accident, and the Romulans and the Borg are linked in more ways than one. Whoa. I find this a compelling theory. I don't know if it's real. Um, But I definitely think what you said is real. Hmm. And I am reminded that the Borgs have time travel technology. Oh, right. right. Cuz in first contact they yes. th- like they get there and they go back in time. So it's possible that these Borg Romulans have seen the future. Yeah. Oh, weird. And she's like Ramda calls Soji the destroyer. Oh, yeah. And then one of the goons, so simultaneously to this happening, uh Picard and Chateau are under attack. Yeah. By more of these goons. I really loved the way the scene worked because um, as Soji is talking to Ramda, she's interviewing her and then slowly Ramda turns it around and starts asking her questions. And uh, so you have this quote-unquote interview that starts to feel like an interrogation. Um, and then in the meantime, we have the goon scene going on which itself turns into an interrogation and these interrogations are happening side by side. So in that in that interrogation of the one goon that they captured alive, yeah. They ask him a bunch of questions that he doesn't answer and then he starts also calling Soji the destroyer. Which sister are you? The one who dies or the one who lives? Where is she? Where is the other one? You'll never find her before we do. Gesh thing. You are the destroyer! She's the end of all! She's the destroyer! Yeah, it goes back and forth, and they're like, ah, destroyer, and this epic frenzy of filmmaking. Yeah, it's very, like, fast and dynamic. They are unsuccessful in their interrogation. They don't really find out much, and then he kills himself with the, like, the green acid liquid. Cutting back to, to Soji for a second... Um, the other thing that happens in that scene is Soji all of a sudden knows, like, a ton of stuff about Ramda's past. And we learn, like, she was on the last ship that was ever assimilated by the cube. 
and uh, then something went wrong, and it caused a uh, matrix thingy. <laughs> they, yeah, basically something started to go wrong with that cube, and that's why that cube was cut off from the collective. I think our earlier theory that all of the Borg are like decimated because of what happened at the end of Voyager is now up in the air. Yeah, and what we've learned from Star Trek in the past is every time the Borg are destroyed, they kind of pop up again. Like yeah. Picard was like, How can you be here? We killed you. And it's like, Nope, I'm here. Yeah, they're perennial. Uh, Maybe through their their time, their time leaping technology. Oh, yeah. I mean, Maybe if they just leap from the past back to the future. They're like, Well, we died, but we can skip that part. <laughs> <laughs> That's convenient. There's an episode in Voyager with. Echeb, yeah, who is like Seven's little protege, and he was genetically engineered to be sent to a Borg cube, and then when he would get assimilated, he would basically spread a virus that would kill everyone in the cube. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if these Romulans did something similar. Exactly. It seems very likely. And we also have the parallel with Hugh, who was in a way, also a plant. We talked about this in our episode about iBorg. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can go back and listen to that for our analysis of that. But the the upshot is that his individuality was a problem for the Borg. And so there's these vulnerabilities of like you get kind of a Trojan horse and then it causes kind of ripple effects that wound but don't destroy the Borg. Mm-hmm. And so maybe... Like this theory that the the ship the Romulan ship that was assimilated with Ramda on it was also a Trojan horse. I think it tracks. One of my favorite theories about Dodge from before the series started was that she was perhaps one of the future Borg queens, which I feel like is not <laughs> true. But uh, she does seem to be linked to them and to the Romulans a bit more than would make sense just from her current backstory that we know. So I still feel like there's other stuff going on with her that we don't understand. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff. There's stuff going on with her that she doesn't even understand. She she doesn't know anything. Where she has these embedded memories of, like, classified information that nobody knows. That she doesn't know. She just, like, rattles off and she's like, oh, if you had asked me if I knew anything about that stuff before, I would not have known where did those, where did all of that information come from? I must have gotten it from, like, all of the extensive reading that I did that I just didn't, like, consciously have awareness of it. Like, yeah, she forgot that she knew. I love, No, that's clearly a justification. She's really good at lying to herself. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah. And I mean, like, her whole like her whole world is constructed. Because she has this conversation with her, quote unquote, mom. Oh, yeah. She's, like, back in her room, crying on her bed. She, like, FaceTimes her mom. Because <laughs> she's worried. She's like, oh, no. If I'm the sister who lives, then where's Dodge? And I think she's getting worried about Dodge at this point because she hasn't heard from her. Yes. And so she calls up her mom, uh, who is a bot. Definitely. Yes. She <laughs> and is her not mo- real. And uh, mom says, oh, Daja's great. She's going to get a puppy soon. Everything's fine. And then, like, in the middle of this sentence that her mother is speaking, she, like, passes out. She's triggering something that, like, causes her to take a nap. Yeah. I think that part of the way that the, like, created identity perpetuates itself is that anytime she in- she tries to encounter something from her past or whatever, she probably just passes out and her programming makes her forget mm. that she was curious about that in the first place. <sighs> I love that. That's like that show that I love that you don't like. Uh, Westworld where, where, again. Westworld with the, with the cowboy <laughs> robots. When they look at images from the real world, they don't see it. Yeah. It's really cool. It's cool and it's also weird and it's like it's a – commentary on like what is autonomy what is memory Mm. how are you a person if you can't remember all of the experiences that you had the question that it brings up for me is like who's pulling the strings yes is the bot autonomous or is there someone behind the bot if yeah i mean like like this whole constructed identity with like bots surrounding her that keep her in this identity so there's programming behind that. And is it like, is that just embedded programming and whoever made her is like out of the picture or are we going to meet them? And we're still on the hunt for Maddox. Yes. Um, Dr. Fuckboy 
I guess, just like has keys to her quarters and come, lets himself in somehow. And uh, she expresses her concerns to him that she knew stuff that she wasn't supposed to know that we were talking about a second ago. And he asks her, can you keep a secret? Oh, God. Yeah. And which, then like, he like whispers in her ear, I think I'm falling in love with you. And it's like, how is that a response to anything that she just said? I mean, it's kind of sweet if you like this couple, but whatever. We're not shipping them. I would get so mad at my partner if he – I'd be like, no, I'm concerned about my mental health. Like, what? Yeah, uh, yeah. But she just to- takes it in stride. She's like, oh, okay. And then they hug. I don't know. I think he, he's trying to get upgraded from Dr. Fuckboy to Dr. Boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> but in order for that to happen, he needs to, like – allow her to be open about their relationship in the last episode he definitely said it was a secret yeah and like he's reinforcing that because he doesn't tell her this before he asks her again can you keep a secret oh yeah maybe the secret is their love i mean i think that that's a secret because he in the next scene he goes and talks to sister oh yeah his sister is now actually on the board cube and she's got his real her real ears and they might also be fucking it's I mean, did you get that feeling? What I, the feeling that I got was that he really likes whispering things in women's ears and getting really close to them. And I can't tell. It was yeah. It was, I mean, I I I might have watched too much Game of Thrones, <laughs> but they had what felt like angry sexual chemistry to me, and it was creepy and weird. All right, I don't know how they do things on Romulus. I don't know. I think I was distracted by his bed jacket. <laughs> it's just a great piece of costuming. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Shout out to uh, Christine. He, so he does not tell his sister that stuff about her revealing that she had these like embedded oh, memories yeah. that she didn't know about. Oh, you're right. So he's he already like, concealing things from her. You're right. About Soji. And he gives her like enough to be like, this is working. She, he's like, I'm confident that she doesn't know that she's a synth. But but yeah, like the the pertinent information that he just got, he did not communicate to her. No. So I feel like the other thing uh, that we sort of brushed past in this episode was like right when the Romulan goons attacked Chateau Picard and were swiftly taken out by seventy nine year old Patrick Stewart and his uh, aging Romulan spy buddies who have not lost any of their skills. They are all sharpshooters. These guys are taken down. Yeah. I mean, it's 100% the, like, the bad guys can't aim trope. Yes. Uh, wait, so I wanted to talk about Allison Pill. Yeah. Agnes. Dr. Dr. Agnes shows up and is like, I saw Commodore O, and I told her everything about you, and also I'm coming with you on this adventure. But also, one thing that I thought was interesting is how much uh, Dr. Gerardi says that Commodore O revealed to her. Oh, yeah. Because she, she, she's like, Commodore O told me that you're looking for a ship, putting this crew together or whatever it is to go find other Dodge. Oh. And I was like, that seems really unlikely that this very accomplished spy would just reveal all of that information. Yes. So yes. sloppy well, writing. Cause, or, 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 or she wants her to go and she's trailing ooh, her. Ooh, right. Cause likely. they don't know that she's a spy, right? They think that she's a Vulcan. So now I'm thinking like from amending my theory from last week's episode where I was like, they just didn't want to ugly up the ladies. They're like, there are certain members of the Tal Shiar who had their like forehead ridges removed in order to look like Vulcans so that they can more easily infiltrate Starfleet and the Federation. Yeah. That's my theory now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that also tracks with Picard's roommate because she was in the Tal Shiar also. And like, why would you get it put back? It's probably easier to exist as a person on Earth as a Vulcan than it is as a Romulan at this yes. point in time, almost certainly. So so then they all end up on the ship together, mm-hmm. and Rafi is definitely suspicious of her. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying. I was thinking a lot in this episode about the the Bechdel test. Every time women were talking to each other, because you asked me that question last time, and I wanted to have an answer. Yeah. <laughs> if it hadn't before, this scene definitely does because like. Rafi is like, why is this bitch here? Mm-hmm. And she's like, hello, I am Dr. Agnes Gerardi. It is good to meet you. And she's like, 
I hate you. Why are you here? She, <laughs> you didn't run a background check on her. She could be anyone. Maybe she's a really, really good spy who makes you think that she would be a terrible spy. Yes. That's a lot of layers. She's still my favorite. Like, I she like just, her. She shows up and she's just like enthusiastic and raw and like has all of her emotions on the outside and it's and is uh, optimistic. Yeah. And smiley, even in this like scary, weird situation. And it's really refreshing considering how fucking serious everyone else in this episode is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's been a lot of seriousness. And I do like she brings a lightness. She even brings a lightness in that she's wearing light, light blue. Everybody else is wearing black. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to say anything else about that scene before we, we go back to talk about Captain Beardy? Oh, should we take a break first? Sure. All right. All yes. Right. I saw you sitting back in your very fine chateau. Big oak beams, heirloom furniture. Yeah, I'd show you around my estate, but it's more of a hovel, so that would just be, you know, humiliating. My entire life for the past 14 years has been one long slide into humiliation. Welcome back. Welcome back. So, Becca. Yeah. We forgot to talk about Captain Beardy. Oh, right. So his name is Captain Rios. He's living this weird life where he's on his ship, apparently alone, Mm -hmm. except for holograms, at least two different holograms. Both of which look like him. Yes. But they're all doing different accents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so one of them, so the scene where we meet him, he's like shirtless at the helm and he's being treated by his emergency medical hologram because he has a random piece of shrapnel sticking out of his, yes. uh, out of his shoulder and we get no explanation as to how this happened. It's such a, it's such a like blatant like this is a tough guy. Like we don't, oh. he doesn't even care that he's got shrapnel in his shoulder. He doesn't want to explain what happened. He's just like whatever, take it out. The the EMH, the emergency medical hologram, who has his face, uh, is a little bit more cleaned up. First of all, he's wearing clothes. Yep. Second of all, he looks like he's recently trimmed and combed his beard, which I know he's a hologram, so he doesn't have to maintain himself. But like the version of himself they programmed in is like really put together looking. And then he's just like, his hair is wild. He's sweaty. He's scruffy. <laughs> he looks like he has not shaved recently. He's got some tattoos. He does. He's a tattoo of a mermaid, <laughs> I think. I mean, we didn't get a really it close view like, of it. Yeah. it. It feels he's kind of like a pirate or like a Navy man, you know? like he, Yes. He's definitely got this like lone wolf, salty captain situation going on. Um, I was, uh, picking up what they were putting down. Mm. I was into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I mean, yeah, he's a handsome person. Yes. Uh, apparently he, the actor is, um... Is he Irish? Because he does an Irish accent he, later. He's not. <laughs> Santiago Cabrera is his, is the actor's name. Cool. Who is... Santi. Born in Caracas, Venezuela. Yeah. To Chilean parents. <gasps> oh. Anyway, you're sexy, Santiago Cabrera. You can keep the beard. I'm into beards. <laughs> you did ask the brilliant question. If you have sex with a hologram that looks like you, is that masturbation? <laughs> it was the first thought that came into my mind while he was interacting with himself. <laughs> Don't know why. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, I feel like this was a topic of conversation when is I was in high it? school on a regular basis. Except of it would like, be like, is it a clone? Clone, exactly. Yeah. Yes. My conclusion was, I would definitely have sex with my clone. Like, I mean, I feel like implicit in that question is that everyone would. That's why it's like, I mean, at least in my high school, the question was, is that masturbation or does that make you gay? <laughs> <laughs> or is it some like form of weird incest? Maybe it's all three. Oh, now I'm less happy with that. Uh, but. Anyway, 
<laughs> He's got this EMH. He also has an ENH, an emergency navigational hologram that like has a Scottish accent for some reason. Yes. And I thought maybe it was an Irish accent. Oh, maybe it was Irish. It was a fantastic accent, though. It was like real over the top. So, are we excited? Intimidated. Maybe a teensy bit starstruck. Jean-Luc Picard, chief contact with a Q continuum, arbiter of succession for the Klingon Empire, savior of Earth from Borg invasion, captain of the Enterprises D and E. He was like also trying to psychoanalyze him. And I'm like, is he also your therapist? Right. Um, I really, yeah, I'm into this uh, ridiculousness. I hope they come back and it's not just a bunch of broody people and Allison Pill on this ship. (laughs) (laughs) That our comic relief is Allison Pill and all of the emergency holograms. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I can't wait till they discover them. Are we going to go back to the uh, EMH, like the doctor from Voyager, like his existential crisis about whether or not he's a person? Like, I feel like we're having like a lot of discussions of like what what artificial intelligences are also people and now we have holograms to talk about so yeah i hope that they i hope that i hope that these guys open the door for that and i find that really interesting um he's also reading a book yeah like an old book that we looked up it's called something about life and thoughts Jesus Christ! You looked it up. I, I was like, I, I don't. It's a it's a book, girl. I wrote I wrote I wrote it down. It's called the Tragic Sense of Life. It's from like the 19th century. It was uh, translated uh, into English from Spanish in like 1922. Huh. Um, it is free if you look it up on Google. Somebody's put um, a translation from 1956 online you can like they scanned it you can look at the whole thing i'm gonna try to find it on kindle and it's a book of philosophy it's a book of philosophy so basically the idea is the, the idea is that a human's tragic sense of life comes from the knowledge that they are going to die and uh but the meaning of their life comes from a sense of immortality Hmm. And this author's personal sense of immortality comes from his Catholicism. That was like from my. <laughs> that, that was, those are like the two sentences at the top of Google. Nice. Uh, I'm going to try to skim this. I'll let you know what it says next week. Yeah. But there. So on the screen, you could see like half of one page of this book, mm-hmm. and it was talking about. It was kind of talking about existing as a person in relationship to other people. Yeah. That you can't think of yourself as a person without contrasting yourself having a self with other people having separate selves. Yeah. I mean, the paragraph we could see very clearly sort of had two points. One point is that meaning and sense of self comes from suffering. And then the second part is I can tell that I myself when I feel that I'm separate from others. Um, For to possess consciousness of oneself, to possess personality, is to know oneself and to feel oneself distinct from other beings. And this feeling of distinction is only reached through an act of collision, through suffering more or less severe, through a sense of one's own limits. Hmm. So I think both the limits of your abilities, um, maybe from sort of an existential suffering. I felt like this relates back to the Borg. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it relates to the Borg in that the Borg, I don't know that the Borg have like a sense of mortality. No, really. No, they feel eternal. But like once they're separated from the cube, right, they have their own sense of suffering. They, mm. they face limits. We saw mm-hmm. this a lot with Seven. Um, they see themselves as separate from other Borg and now they see themselves as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it has to do with being a robot maybe has to do with being a human but these are just big themes i feel like i have to mull over the section a little bit more Mm -hmm. but uh let us know what you think so this final the final scene they spend a lot of time talking about this place that we don't know what it is called free cloud oh yeah i forgot Uh, they're gonna go to free cloud they're gonna go to free cloud and 
currently my assumption about free cloud is based on uh, a place that exists in the universe of killjoys called utopia it's like where all of the black market operations happen in this part of the galaxy so free free cloud is where rafi has discerned maddox either is or was at some point. And they need to go find Bruce Maddox because he's a missing piece in this whole puzzle. Rafi really wants to get to Free Cloud. She does not want to help Picard. We don't know why. I think she's just like, I need to change the scenery or maybe she can sell her snake snake weed, whatever it was called. Oh, uh, I have another complaint about this episode. Uh-huh. Uh, Dr. Sexy Trill wasn't in it. Oh, yeah, right. Bring back, bring back Dr. Nashala. Yeah, what was the point of her just sort of barely being in that one scene? My fear is that the next thing that happens to her is that she dies tragically. Oh my god. Michael, if you kill another black person for no reason on this show. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, and then the other thing, we talked about this a little bit in the context of the Chateau and like what, how is socialism actually functioning in this world? But what it reminded me of is, like, socialism that exists in American society today is kind of concentrated in the military. Mm. Like, people who serve in the military and their families get, like, a significant amount of support from the military while they are serving. Mm -hmm. And so despite the fact that people who are in the military i actually don't know what military but conservatives who are pro-military don't recognize that mil the military is a fairly socialist organization just and that also them cutting rafi loose and then her feeling like her life is embarrassing and a shambles makes me think about like the lack of support is this where you were this yeah you're going with us yeah that once you're cut once you're out of that system then your support system then your socialist network kind of disappears and yeah. you have to do more fending for yourself. And so it just like, it kind of breaks down at that point. So yeah, then my final thought about the episode is that the, like this episode ends with Picard saying engage Yes, and the ship that <laughs> most, but not all of our characters are now on is uh, going to warp. It was fantastic. I was really excited. So is Dr. Agnes. She looks super giddy. She's like, ooh, Captain Picard is saying engaged, which like ties in for like, she's my, like, she's like the audience replacement. And then uh, Captain Rios is like, whatever. And uh, Rafi like literally rolls her eyes. <laughs> Do you have any, any other thoughts? You know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the episode with Data's mother, but I might push that to, to next week. Yeah. But you guys... If you miss watching old shows with us, watch the one with Data's mother, season seven, episode 10. What's it Inheritance. called? Inheritance. And uh, maybe also watch the series finale of The Next Generation, which we also kind of want to touch on briefly. Yeah. Yay. Ooh, we have some shout outs. Yeah. Yes. So we have two new subscribers on our pod fan uh which is awesome thank you both so much for signing up uh sh so shout outs to margaret and to len and joanne so that's technically three people but two of them are a couple yeah yeah um len was like my favorite professor in college that's so and awesome he and his wife joanne are both like you guys are retired now oh my god um they're <laughs> great thank you for listening <laughs> yes thank you thank you now to the everybody who's subscribed to our member feed we are working on that witcher episode that we promised to you and it will be out this month oh yeah and then we had some new reviews on apple podcasts yes um thank you kaya Allie and Ian and uh, several people gave us more stars. We got some more five stars. We can't tell who you are. So if you did that, thank you. Yeah. Oh, and then also thank you to Jamie, uh, founder of PodFan. We were featured on PodFan's homepage. So if you just go to pod.fan, you will see us. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Uh, we love your technology. Yeah. We're really happy with the um, functionality of PodFan so far. It's and, really easy to uh, use. Yeah. If you have a podcast and aren't married to Patreon, <laughs> go check them out. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Fuck um, the man. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks for listening. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalese and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire, or you can become a member of our member feed on podfan, that is pod.fan slash intertractional. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>